Washington, VOA presents Issues in the News. Hello and welcome to Issues in the News. I'm Kim Lewis and joining me on the panel this week are VOA senior diplomatic correspondent Cindy Sane and VOA executive producer Steve Reddish. Welcome Cindy and Steve. Well, here are the issues. A senior Biden administration official says Russian forces along Ukraine's borders have increased by about 7,000 troops in recent days, despite Moscow's saying it was pulling back military units, putting into question President Vladimir Putin's public openness to diplomacy. New estimates indicate Russia now has more than 150,000 troops encircling Ukraine. Western leaders have previously expressed skepticism about Moscow's assertion it was sending some troops back to base. And U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said in an interview this week that there is a difference between what Russia says and what it does. House Republicans are making an ambitious policy play on issues such as COVID-19 protocols and the national debt in anticipation of success in the November midterm elections. The minority party sees the continued rise of inflation and President Biden's low approval rating as an opportunity to seize the moment as it puts together a list of policy priorities to serve as the catalyst of the party's arguments heading into November. President Biden has taken his bipartisan infrastructure law on the road to the American people to promote how it will improve roads and bridges and create good-paying jobs. President Biden opposes another effort by former President Donald Trump to withhold information from the House committee investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol building, ordering the National Archives to hand over White House visitor logs the committee is seeking. And the families of some of the adults and children killed in the 2012 mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, reached a $73 million settlement with Remington, the manufacturer of the AR-15 rifle used in the massacre. Attorneys for the plaintiffs say the settlement agreement allows the families to make public thousands of pages of internal company documents that prove Remington's wrongdoing, attorneys for the plaintiffs said in a press release. Well, those are the issues, and let's get started. Well, Cindy, the Biden administration claims Russian military forces along the Ukraine border have increased, while Russia says that some military units are leaving their positions near Ukraine. So is Russia escalating or de-escalating military forces, and how do you negotiate with Putin given this scenario? Right, Kim. Well, yes, we are hearing from not only from the U.S., but also from NATO, from European countries, from the NATO Secretary General Stoltenberg saying that, on the contrary, Russia is not actually de-escalating, but it has sent, as they said, 7,000 more troops. We had the Pentagon, Defense Secretary Austin, saying that Russia is sending more support aircraft, more blood supplies. So this, again, seems to be a very perilous moment. We have Secretary Blinken speaking to the United Nations saying this is the most 
threatening moment that we have seen in Europe since World War II. So this is a, a time where, as you said, not only the U.S., but also NATO countries are saying, look at what Russia is doing. And we're seeing reports of renewed shelling in the Donbass region, where there has been a, a war going on since 2014, since Russia invaded at that time and seized Crimea. And we saw a video of a kindergarten that was uh, shelled so we're still on edge and it looks like we are, are still on the brink and we did get word that russia has delivered its written response to the u.s first on its security concerns first russia demanded a written response to the u.s russia has called for nato to promise that it will never admit ukraine which nato says it will not do but russia has now delivered its response so diplomatic efforts are continuing but uh, there is no de-escalation i would just note that we've heard over the last six weeks very threatening language from various leaders especially um, from the biden administration that, that an invasion is imminent and i note that president biden on tuesday in his speech said an invasion remains distinctly possible which i see as somewhat of a departure from the very over-the-top invasion is imminent or could happen at any time language so it's apparent that diplomacy is working in some ways in that we haven't had an invasion yet one of the other things that Biden and other leaders say, it's really all up to Putin. And what he does on his timetable is going to determine the outcome of what happens. And NATO and the United States have been resolute in putting up a, uh, a front against Russia's aggression. Yes, and also we had Vice President Kamala Harris in Munich for a very important security conference of which a major topic will be Russian aggression and trans and Atlantic unity in the face of it. So is this part of the diplomatic efforts? Yes, it definitely is. And it's a very high profile meeting in Munich. Of course, the Russian threat to Ukraine will be front and center. And I think that Putin may be surprised, as Steve said, at how unified the NATO allies have been. And at first, there were some concern of Germany you know, may sort of be uh, in the middle between Russia and Ukraine. But the new Chancellor Schultz was in Kiev and in Moscow and had some very strong words for Putin and has been on the phone having secure conversations with Biden. So as, as Steve said, NATO does seem unified and this Munich meeting will be another chance. And they say that, you know, if there is another invasion of Ukraine, that they have coordinated down to the technical levels of the response, the very firm response to Russia. But increasingly, we're hearing U.S. and NATO officials saying they are very concerned that Russia is going to stage a pretext for invasion. And we're seeing Putin is talking about what he uses the word genocide of ethnic Russians going on in the eastern area which Ukraine firmly denies and outside experts also say is not happening. And the Duma has passed a resolution saying that some areas in the East, that they want to declare them independent. And of course, if they did that and then Russian troops moved in, they would say, oh, well, we're not invading Ukraine. These are these are independent provinces. So there's there's a lot going on, and it's not clear whether this is sort of going to be the new normal that we're going to have this fever pitch of Russian troops massed in Belarus and along the Ukraine border for a longer period of time, or whether a massive invasion is about to happen. 
there doesn't seem to be a lot of middle ground between that. And mostly that's because Russia's President Putin has all of these troops amassed along the border and has to do something with them. And pulling them back will likely be seen as a sign of weakness, a sign of capitulation, unless Putin gets some sort of guarantee out of these negotiations and out of this diplomacy that he can turn to his people, the Russian people, as well as the Russian military and his oligarchs, and say, see, here's what we got in return. I found it very interesting that there are a few Russian generals who have publicly said that this is not a good idea, and several Russian oligarchs have privately said that this is not a good idea. And we may be seeing a situation where President Putin is looking for some sort of off-ramp to this situation that both saves face for him and gives the Russian people an opportunity to say, here's something that we want. Also, some Republican leaders are calling for additional sanctions to be placed against Russia now. So what are the pros and cons of this? The White House is holding back that surge of Republicans who say, put sanctions on now because the White House sees sanctions as the only deterrent to an invasion. And if sanctions are placed on various different parts of the Russian economic sector now, President Putin wouldn't have any reason to hold back. You're already punishing me. I'm going to go in. And, and so that's the battle that the Biden White House is having with Congress. Most of the Democrats are backing Biden and several Republicans are as well, quietly and not out loud. But there is a group of Republicans who are saying, place sanctions on them now for their aggression. Yeah, we did hear some rare words of praise from Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell for President Biden and his address to the nation this week on the Russia-Ukraine situation, with McConnell saying that it was a strong address and that he heard a lot of the things that he wanted to hear. And Biden spoke both to the American people, saying, you know, if there is a major land war in Europe, this is going to have an impact on gas prices and energy prices at home, sort of laying out the stakes for the American people and saying, you know, we can't let Putin just rewrite the borders in Europe at the point of a gun. We have to respond. And Biden also spoke directly to the Russian people and said, look, 77 years ago, our peoples fought together to end the worst war in history. And if Putin invades Ukraine, this would be very different. It would be a war of choice. So we will continue to follow those developments as they are constantly being updated. And Republicans back on Capitol Hill, they're eyeing an ambitious legislative agenda if they succeed in winning the House in November's elections. The midterm cycle is historically brutal for the party of first-term presidents, combined with President Biden's present low approval ratings and with consumer inflation soaring. Is this a golden opportunity for Republicans to win back the lower chamber, Steve? Yes, Republicans do see an opportunity to retake at least the House of Representatives in November's elections. Biden and his Democratic Party are seeing the president's low polling numbers right now. His approval rating is around 41 percent, 53 percent disapproving of his job as president. That converging with political history, that the new president's party usually loses seats in Congress in the next election. 
which is in November, nine months from now. So Biden is out now to tout the successes his administration has had. The bipartisan infrastructure law is one of the biggest ones where he was able to get Republicans in the Senate and in the House to vote for the bill. It is the biggest infrastructure bill passed in recent memory. And Biden is following up on his promise to go out and explain to the American people exactly what his administration has done. So right now, the Democrats only have a 10-vote lead in the House of Representatives. The Senate is evenly split at 50-50. So Democrats are struggling to try and find the right message for the election. They've not been able to to tout the shrinking unemployment numbers and other figures that show Americans are making more in wages than ever before. And they're unable to do that because gas prices are at a 14, 15-year high. There's concern about making former President Donald Trump the boogeyman in various different election messages because they tried that tactic last November and they lost one governor's race and almost lost another. So there's a lot going on politically here in the country. And Republicans are also in a quandary because there's a large number of Republicans who still support former President Donald Trump. There's a large number of Republicans who want to move on from former President Donald Trump. And Both parties are struggling to maintain a stable message, a stable political message that they hope will win in November. And then looking at the situation with former President Donald Trump, as you mentioned, Senate Republicans, they are scrambling really to figure out how former President Trump's mounting legal troubles will affect his grip on the party and chances of running for office again in 2024. For instance, allies of Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who has worked behind the scenes to counter Trump, are wondering whether the former president's clout may fade, regardless of what happens in 2022 midterm elections, because of his many legal entanglements. So at this point, then, where do Republicans stand on Trump's political future? There's a split, mostly in the House of Representatives, where there are many Trump acolytes both members of Congress and those who want to seek a seat in Congress on the Republican side are jockeying for former President Trump's blessing and his endorsement. And and that is something that is concerning the Senate Minority Leader, Mitch McConnell, who has tried behind the scenes to find various different candidates who are, in his mind, good Republicans, good candidates, people who are not of the Trump acolyte class of the Republican Party to run for Senate, to run for various different open Senate seats. And he's he's not having as much success as he'd like. So there is concern among Republicans, especially among the older rock-ribbed Republican Party members, that there is going to be a split in the party and they may not be able to, to uh, take advantage of the opportunity presented to them by historical political history that the party out of power usually gains seats in in the Congress. And that's what's concerning Republicans mostly right now is the specter of Donald Trump. And will he drive moderate Republican voters away from candidates and into the Democratic Party come November? 
Yes, and we'll continue to follow developments on this issue. And we have more issues to discuss as well. Time now for a quick break. And when we return, President Biden orders former President Trump's visitor logs to be turned over to the House Select Committee within 15 days. Issues in the News is coming to you from the Voice of America in Washington. If you would like to download the program, it's free on iTunes. Just click on the iTunes tab on our website at voanews.com. While you're there, check out our other programs, Press Conference USA and Encounter. Also visit us on Facebook and leave a comment or two. Then like us at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Now back to our panel via Skype, VOA Senior Diplomatic Correspondent Cindy Sane and VOA Executive Producer Steve Reddish. Well, President Biden rejected former President Trump's claim of executive privilege over Trump-era White House visitor logs, ordering the National Archives to turn the documents over to the congressional panel investigating the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol. The White House's current policy is to release visitor logs for transparency, a practice that was stopped under the Trump administration. So how significant is this order coming from the White House, though, it is not the first time Biden has rejected Trump's claim of executive privilege. No, it's not the first time. President Biden has been pretty consistent and said that he will you know, release as much as possible. And the select committee is looking specifically at what former President Trump was doing and saying on the day, January 6th, the day where his supporters attacked the U.S. Capitol, killing policemen and tried to stop Congress from certifying Joe Biden as legitimately elected president. So what National Archives and what they are finding is that in these White House logs from the 6th, there is a gap. We don't have former President Trump's calls on the day of the 6th. And this is very concerning because that would be crucial. Was he talking to members of Congress? As some had originally said that we had Kevin McCarthy of the, of the House saying that he had spoken with President Trump and was urging him to call his supporters off and to stop the violence. And he has since, you know, has, has stopped saying that, McCarthy. So these calls from Trump on January 6th would be very important. And some who know him well say that he had a habit of picking up aides phones or other people's phones to use and so that is concerning that there's a gap in those records the visitor logs and the phone call logs are crucial to the congressional committee because it'll help them understand exactly who was at the white house on january 6th who was communicating with the president they already have a lot of testimony about that the visitor logs and the phone call logs will help ratify and, and confirm some of their findings already. The January 6th committee is also moving in another direction. They issued subpoenas for several Trump aides and Republican figures to get testimony about an effort to send bogus slates of electors from states Trump lost. And they're also expecting to talk to former Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani who made various claims of, of election fraud in the aftermath of the 2020 election. So we're hearing that the committee is expected to have televised hearings sometime in the spring. They're still working and putting together the case and trying to show exactly what happened on January 6th and try to show if there was a conspiracy 
behind it. And all of this is former President Trump, is he working to prohibit the release of documents? And really, why would he not want them released? Well, he, he doesn't want them released because they may show various different people inside the White House, who came, who went, when did they come, when did they go. The former president has been known to, even before he was president, was loath to have any kind of documents that show who he talked to, when they talked to, and the like. So he has been trying to keep records from coming to light and trying to use whatever powers that he still has, which have been greatly diminished, to not only keep documents, but also keep people from testifying as well. Yes, and it looks like the investigation, as you pointed out, Steve, is moving progressively as they plan it to. So what would be the next step? The next step for the January 6th committee is to finish up its subpoenas and its interviews with various different figures who were involved in the January 6th attack to then go and write their report and put together the kind of, dare I say, show, but be able to then reveal to the American people not just a written report, but have people in front of television cameras, in front of the committee, answering questions and hearing directly from these sources, directly from these people involved, what they did, what happened, and if they decide not to be forthcoming, the American public will see that too. And we will continue to follow this story and its developments. And moving to our last topic, the families of some of the adults and children killed in the 2012 mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, reached a settlement with gun manufacturer Remington. So in looking at this settlement, is this a wake-up call to the gun industry and its supporters? Yes, it is, because while it's the biggest dollar amount settlement with a gun manufacturer, $73 million, moreover, it's the internal documents that Remington is providing in as part of the settlement that is the bigger prize, because these documents contain information about how the gun maker and perhaps other gun makers design and market their products which could lead to even more lawsuits. Experts are likening this to what happened with the tobacco industry, where a lawsuit was favorably settled for the plaintiffs and documents of the tobacco companies that show how they tried to put this forward as cigarettes as a, as a much more healthy product. And it really led to the reduction of cigarette smoking in the United States and around the world. Various different people see this lawsuit with Remington and the thousands of pages of documents as something similar that will help future lawsuits against gun makers. And also President Biden said in a statement on the settlement, quote, together we can deliver a clear message to gun manufacturers and dealers. They must either change their business models to be part of the solution for the gun violence epidemic, or they will bear the financial cost of their complicity, unquote. And also the president, he's been calling on Congress to repeal the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act. 
how hard will it be to repeal this law, given that supporters of the law insist that it would actually do the opposite by not having it because it would prevent law-abiding citizens from defending themselves against armed criminals? Well, this is one of the things we were talking about. House Republicans are sensing uh, perhaps a golden opportunity to retake the majority in the House in the next elections. And this is something that they're already saying, that they would move to further protect gun laws and gun manufacturers. And as Kim, as both you and Steve said, one of the things that was so important about this Sandy Hook settlement is that the documents will be released about how Remington marketed these AR-15 rifles to young men, to insecure young men specifically and targeted. And that is something that the families are really hoping that gun manufacturers will have to stop. Yes, excellent point, Cindy, and we will have to end the show on that note. My thanks go to our panelists, VOA Senior Diplomatic Correspondent Cindy Sane and VOA Executive Producer Steve Reddish. I'm Kim Lewis. Thanks for joining us for Issues in the News.